Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Um, okay, before I get begin today, just want to, in case you walked by it or you're watching or listening online, is we're going to have communion at the end of service today. And so at every one of the doors, we do have communion for you. And so you can grab that at any point. You're not going to bother me if you get up and go get it. But there will be a time at the end of service as we go into worship again. I want you to know those are at all the doors. Um, Father's Day this year, I had a specific request for Amber. Okay, and this is a little bit of an embarrassing story, but if you're part of One Hope, this is what Scott does. So, like, I, I tell stupid stories, and I hope God uses them, right? But, like, Father's Day this year, I had a specific thing, and it was not a gift. I said, Amber, what I'd really like for Father's Day this year is that you would go and use your skill of organization, use your skill of making, like, order out of messes, you would go in and you would clean my closet, all right? This is all I asked for. It's like, it is a mess. It is an absolute mess. Quite frankly, I was embarrassed of it. Amber wanted to do kind of like a before picture and after picture. And I said, I've got a little bit of dignity. I've got a little bit of pride. Like, let's not do this kind of a thing. But I said, I just, I hated the clutter. I hated the mess. And, and so she said, okay, I can do that. I can do that. We moved into our house in 2009 and so we're 14 years in and you know what happens when you live in the same place for 14 years maybe if you've done that like things accumulate um um, shoes i don't wear anymore styles that have gone out of um style um sizes aren't exactly the same as maybe 14 years ago you know what i'm saying right like things change and so amber began and she had one rule she had one rule she said okay scott here it is I'm the worker, that's my role. Your role is, um, you're the good-looking homeowner, all right? I'm the worker, okay, if I'm being really honest, that's not what she said. You want, you want, she's the worker, she says, Scott, you're the sexy homeowner, all right? Like, TMI, TMI, like, too much, in, but this is where we were. So there are times when she's doing something, and I would come to give my opinion, and she would go, what's your role? I'm a sexy homeowner. All right, so th this is this is how we roll, and you have no desire hearing that today, but it's part of the story. So um, over the next day or two, we um, uh, she began work, and then I would begin to take trash bags out filled with clothes and shoes and just junk. And this is where the embarrassing part is. Like I literally took out eleven trash bags, okay, of just stuff. That's like let's take this to Goodwill. Let's take this and just get rid of it let's take it just there's just 14 years of accumulation of just stuff but the end result was this closet that I'm like oh I just I, I feel it feels so much lighter it feels so much like just I like it I've got a corner with just my Jordans in it it's awesome I love it my shoes in the top left hand corner it's all great I tell you this story because I'm thinking about this conversation that was happening while she was doing it I tell you this because the conversation we're going to have today is, are there some closets in your house? And I don't mean your house, I mean your life. Are there some closets in your life that need to be cleaned out a little bit? Are there some messes over the last years because of life that has happened that needs a little cleaning out? And you need to call in extra support to say, this mess needs to be 
transformed. See, if you're a guest with us today, we're in the middle of a conversation where we're talking about hope, okay? We're talking about hope, and we talk a lot about hope at, at One Hope Church, because hope is a powerful thing. There, there was a man who once said this about hope. Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. Hope is a powerful thing. Someone else asked about hope and why it's important. He said, optimism is a strategy for making a better future. Because unless you believe that the future can be better, it's unlikely you will step up and take responsibility for making it so. If you assume that there's no hope, you guarantee that there is no hope. Keeping hope alive is so important. Paul, in his writings, his letter to the people in Rome where a church was starting, he, he, he kind of spoke to them about why he felt hope was important, how he wanted them to live hope-filled lives and what that would look like. And he writes it in, in, in Romans chapter 15. He says, may the God of hope, right from the beginning, tells where hope comes from. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Is that what hope feels like? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope is a powerful thing. In the last three weeks, we've been having conversations of, about, about how we as a church can live in hope, but then take hope to an often hopeless world. Can we build and cultivate a culture where God's kingdom can be built? God's hope-filled kingdom can be built through our church. And so the last three weeks, once again, if this is your first Sunday, you can go back and listen. I won't tell you what those messages are, but the cultures we've been talking about, can we have a culture of sending? Can we have a culture of worship? Can we build a culture of togetherness? Can God... Build these cultures in us so he can do a work in us and then through us in this world. But now we move on to today, and today's the last one. And Jesus, throughout his life, there were moments after moment where, where he gave what I'll say is his mission statement. That Jesus gave his mission statement in several different ways, in several different times. And, and one time, he gave his mission statement by saying this from, from Luke, chapter, um, Luke chapter 19. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, this conversation happens... Um, after he spends some moments with a guy named Zacchaeus. You've heard of Zacchaeus before, right? Zacchaeus, um, you may know the story. Jesus is walking through uh, a city called Jericho. And people had heard about Jesus, and Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. And that's Im really important to this story, that he had heard about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus personally. So he climbs a tree, and so he can watch Jesus walk by, kind of like a celebrity, but Jesus sees him in the tree. And he sees him in the tree, and he invites himself to spend the day with Zacchaeus. And the result of that day is... Zacchaeus gave his life to Jesus, and his life was changed forever. And so at the end of that story, Jesus says, 
That's why I came. I came to seek and save the lost, just like Zacchaeus. And Jesus does this over and over and over again. Actually, if you grab the Seafield books out in the lobby today, where you're going to walk through the um, the Gospel of Mark, and then there's some other text after that. And if you once again, if you're new, the Seafield Act books are are our way to help you navigate Scripture with a filter that says, I want to become more like Jesus every day. I want to see, feel, act more like Jesus. So we want to help walk through so you can take those. But if you read through this, you'll see all these things that Jesus did throughout his life where people's lives were changed. Just like Zacchaeus. The disciples came in contact with Jesus and their life was changed. The sick came in contact with Jesus, their life was changed. The demon-possessed came in contact with Jesus. Their lives were changed. The blind and, and paralyzed people came in contact with Jesus, and their life was changed. And throughout the story of Jesus, what you'll see is that everyone who comes in contact with Jesus, their life was changed. Except. Except for the people who said, I don't want change. Except for the people who said, I've already got life figured out. Except for the people who said, who thought, they didn't believe what Jesus had to offer was true or best for their life. Everybody who came in contact with Jesus, their life was changed. Except for the people who said, no, I'm not about that. Which brings me to when he went to his hometown. One time Jesus was going through the Galilean region, which is the area around what we call the Sea of Galilee. He's going from town to town, and people are just amazed by what he's doing. He reaches his hometown, and we see this experience in Luke chapter 4. Let me read it for you. Follow along. Luke chapter 4, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. So the Old Testament, we'll taught our book of Isaiah. It's a, it's a scroll. It was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. To recovery, recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened to him and began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, if you know this story, right after this moment, the people in his hometown were so ticked that he would say this. They were so angry that they wanted to throw Jesus off a cliff. 
They didn't like what he said because he was basically saying, another way of saying his mission statement, who he was, he was saying, I'm the person that Isaiah was talking about. That prophecy is about me. I have come to save the world. I have come to transform the world. I've come to redeem the world. I've come to rescue the world. I am him in this moment. Over and over, Jesus declared, this is why I have come. And everyone who came in contact with Jesus, their life was changed, except for the people who said, no thanks, I'm good. And this is always going to be the choice you have in life. Your response to the reason that Jesus came is going to be your choice in life. Do we embrace the life that he came and presented to us? This is the life I have for you. See, the last culture conversation that I want to have today to lean into, to grab a hold of, and say this is who we are to be as a church is a culture of transformation. A culture of transformation. Because Jesus didn't come just to change the world. He came to change you. Jesus didn't just come to change the world. He came to change you. God sent Jesus. And the world has never been the same again but i don't want to talk about the world today i want to talk about you because i need you and i to know this that jesus loves you unconditionally and as exactly as you are but he loves you also too much just to let you say I don't want to talk about the world. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about me. That Jesus loves us unconditionally, exactly as you are. But he also loves you too much to let you stay as you are. A culture of transformation. See, if you're part of One Hope Church, I hope you know by now one of my deepest desires as your pastor is that we would be people who don't just believe in Jesus, right? We've talked about this, that we're not people who just believe in Jesus. My hope is that we see the idea of Jesus is that we believe in him, but he also wants to change who we are. This is the idea behind see, feel, and act, that we are becoming more like him every day, and that our life is a never-ending process of transformation. Can I say that? Our life is a never-ending process of transformation. I'll say it this way. Life found in Jesus is a process of transformation. Our whole life. See, when you say you're a believer of Jesus, you say you're a Christian— what you're taking on is the, is the culture of that my life is going to be in a process of transformation the whole time I am here on this earth. See, when Jesus did a work in someone's life, there was an immediate change. 
All the stories you read, there's an immediate change, but the change is incomplete. Let's go back to what I read about Jesus in Nazareth. Jesus is sharing his mission statement in just another way. But he's sharing why he came, what is his purpose, what he is doing. And he says to them, I have come because I'm to set people free. Setting people free so their lives will be changed forever. But I think what he would want us to know is that is both an instant and progressive thing. That is an instant thing that happens in our lives. But it's also a progressive thing. If you come, Bill talked about um, in announcements, he talked about the Discover One Hope class that we'll do September 10th. We'll have a conversation, maybe a more personal conversation. It's a way for you to ask questions and just kind of behind the scenes. Let's just gather around and just find out what we're totally about as a church. And maybe you do want to become a member here. I'd love for you to have lunch with me that day. But if you come to that class, I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way. Jesus is mission Jesus sets us free to live free in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what he wants for us as we walk this life. That Jesus came to set us free so we can live free in the power of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus isn't the only one that talked about this. I think Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And, and, and these words, um, for, for on first read, can almost seem a little confusing, so let me walk it through. But this is what Paul says about this. He says, Now the Spirit, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. Our being, being, transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the lord who is the spirit okay so it's a little circular there let me think tell you what i think he's saying here is there's a moment in our life where the veil needs to come off that we see jesus for who he is as the messiah the one that saves us from our broken and sinful selves there's a moment where our eyes, are, 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 we need to see that who he is for who he is. And when we see that, this moment calls for us to repent. That's what scripture says. Call and repent and give Jesus our life to be the Lord or King. Another way to say this is there's a, is a moment in our life that needs to happen where we need to see that God sent Jesus for us. And our job is to ask for forgiveness and then give like the keys to our life, the authority of our complete life to him. This is what the calling on our life is to be. In this moment, I think this is where I would say what Jesus was talking about. This is the moment that we are set free from the baggage of sin in our life. We are set free from a future of separation with Jesus. There's a freedom that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
This is what happens, and hear me, has nothing to do with anything you did. It is nothing that you found, has nothing to do with you. This is all about Jesus, and freedom is found in him. And a story I've shared about this before is one of my favorite stories in scripture that depicts how this picture looks. One night, a guy named Peter is out on the lake. And he's fishing. He's fishing because he's a fisherman. He's out all night. The problem is, for as much as he was a fisherman, he caught no fish. And he's coming in at the end of the night. And when you don't accomplish the task you're supposed to accomplish, when you don't accomplish the thing that's your livelihood, you can't provide for your family, you can't accomplish what you feel like you have gifting for, it wears you out, it brings tension inside of you. It, it, it just, there's frustration in this, and I think this is where Peter is. He's coming in for the... For the day, the sun's coming up, and Jesus is at the end of the edge of the water. He sees Peter, and if you know this story in Luke chapter 5, if you don't read it later, he says, Peter, why don't you throw that net on the other side of the boat? Peter, being a fisherman, has a choice to make. I know what I'm doing, Jesus. I'm good. I've got this. I just had a bad night. But I'm good. He's like, Jesus, I'm tired. Peter, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And then he says, okay, fine, I'll do it. And, and once again, this story, this miraculous story, if you know it, he throws the net on the other side of the boat, on the other side of what he's been trying. And all of a sudden, the nets are filled with so many fish that other people have to come help. And, and, and the boat is filled with fish. The boat is filled with the provision that he was wanting all night that he couldn't get by himself. And in this moment... I think the eyes of Peter are open and he falls on his knees and he looks at Jesus and he's like, I'm not worthy to be in front of you. The holiness, the power, the greatness of you. I just am not worthy. I see who you are. And in this moment, Jesus says to him, Peter, your life's about to change. You're no longer going to fish for fish. You're going to fish for men. You're going to follow me. It's an amazing story. But it's the ending that I absolutely am in love with when it comes to this story. Once Peter's eyes see who Jesus is, and he calls him to follow him, the words of the story are, he drops his nets, and he leaves everything. This is the most free moment anybody can have in their life where they drop everything of self-sufficiency and they move into trusting Jesus, following him. This is what setting free, being set free looks like. This is what salvation in Jesus is supposed to look like. His life began this transformation of what he would look like as he follows Jesus. But hear me, it began, it wasn't complete. There are still multiple years where Peter had to follow Jesus. There's still multiple years where Peter had to live life after Jesus was gone. He had years of growth, he had years of maturity, he had years of transformation that had to happen. But I think Peter learned in this moment is that being set free because of Jesus should lead us to living in freedom for Jesus. 
being set free or being saved, rescued, redeemed, you use your words, by Jesus should lead us to living, being transformed into people who are living in the freedom of Jesus. And this takes more than a moment of surrender. This takes more than just that singular moment where Peter dropped his nets and walked out. The rest of his life, he'd have to figure out how to follow Jesus. And it was one decision at a time. Because being set free and living in freedom are two different things. Being set free and living in freedom are not the same thing. Which is why, for me, there is a deep sadness. Just from my role, what I feel like God has called me to do as a pastor. A deep sadness when people settle for the truth of Jesus being the Savior. And even there's a prayer of Jesus, I give you my life. But that is where the relationship ends ends that you end in the being set free but you don't live in it every day and we miss out on the amazing picture of what life is supposed to be inside of jesus and some of the reasons is people are like what does that look like because to be honest we talk a lot about salvation in church culture yes but do we talk a lot about what happens after salvation? There's such a call to believing in Jesus, which is set free. But where is the conversation to living in freedom, which you can call sanctification, you can call um, just following Jesus, trusting Jesus. There's a lot of language in Christianity. I frankly don't really care, but I do care that the moment after being set free is as powerful and as needed as, it is, as, as is that one moment ever could be. That without the moment, you can't ever get to this. But if you stay right here, you're missing out on truly the reason that Jesus came. Because he said, I came to set the prisoners free. I came to set the oppressed free. I came to bring freedom. But freedom is more than a moment. And the conversation has to continue to the way life goes. Because some of you, and I've been there, and some days I struggle more than others, is I know I'm saved in Jesus, but I don't feel free in Jesus. So what does that look like? And can I tell you what I have to personally go back to? As I'm being transformed every day into the likeness of Jesus, where is that freedom found? I see it at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Matthew chapter 7 is such a foundational text for me. Verse 24, Jesus has just preached to them so much truth. And he says, therefore, if anyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice, that should be something right there that should settle into us. Hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came. Life came. All right? Life is going to hit us. The rain came and, uh, down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears my words and doesn't put them into practice, 
It's like a foolish man to build his house on the sand. The rain came down, the rose streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Living in freedom happens when we build our life on the truth and person of Jesus. We don't just hear it. We don't just believe it. We put our life on the foundation of the person of Jesus. And it isn't a one-time decision. It's an everyday decision to say, my life is built on you, Jesus. And if it's built on you, then I give you the authority to transform who I am. Because I want everything you came to give us. I want you to change me into the person that, that allows myself to live in the freedom that you came to give. I want to walk through a journey of freedom like Peter walked in. I want to walk through a journey of freedom that when people give themselves completely to you, they feel what I said earlier in Romans 15. There's a peace that comes. There's a joy that comes because we trust in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's this life that I go, I want to leave this behind because I want what you are bringing to me. I just don't want your salvation. I want your complete life. I think that's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul knows what he wants the church to know that the old self has to be pushed away. That their transformation needs to happen in order to live in everything that Jesus came to bring. So my question again just like I asked in the beginning, what are those areas of your life? What are those closets of your life that need to be transformed so you can not only be set free, but you can live free? And I'm going to propose today that there are five areas. I'm going to go through them reasonably quick, but there are five areas that each and every one of us should really evaluate are we allowing jesus are we allowing the holy spirit to transform so the freedom of jesus can be experienced and the first thing that i think jesus wants to transform is how i think okay how i think moving from lies to truth is a very freeing John's gospel shares that Jesus talks about this. John chapter 8, it says, Jesus' words are, if you hold to my teaching, you are my disciples. That's powerful in and of itself. If you hold to my teachings, you are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The wall or the hurdle between you and living in freedom is most often not a circumstance, but it is a lie that we have believed. A lie of what reality is versus the tr what, what the world is versus the reality of the truth of who God is. 
lies that you believe about yourself that the scriptures that Jesus has spoken about, but you're believing the lies of the enemy about you. There are lies that we're believing about our past. There are lies that we're believing about the future. There are lies that we're believing that contradict the promises that God speaks to in scripture. There are lies every single day that we're being bombarded with that are holding us back from the truth, and the truth does what? Sets us free. It's why when we consume too much um, social media, too much news, too much even conversation, more than actual truth of Scripture, how can we possibly live in the truth if we're not being... Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Covered by the truth. We're not being, we're not, we're not like allowing it to just wash over us. How can we live in the truth if the voice of the lies is what is consuming our lives? And that we can believe in Jesus, but we can live in lies still. And Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, you're my disciples, and now you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There are times in your life we need to take the lesson that Jesus gave us in the wilderness when he was in that time of testing, and the enemy was coming and bringing lies, and what did Jesus do? He pushed back with truth. Instead of giving in to the lies, he said, no, I know what truth is. And because of this, Jesus was free in the middle of testing Jesus was free in the middle of this hardship. Jesus was free because truth had set him free. He wants to transform how we think from lies to truth. The second thing, I think he wants to transform how we pray. Because I think he wants to move us from distant to personal. From distant to personal. I, I, I realize that I repeat things, but it, I'll tell you it's on purpose because I think that some of us, we believe in Jesus, but we're like Zacchaeus, that we know about Jesus, we've heard the miraculous, we, but we don't know him personally. So we stand up in a tree at a distance and we kind of watch. Jesus had to invite himself, <laughs> it's weird, invite himself into Zacchaeus' life and go, we need to spend some time together because I need to get this distance be more personal and the life change happened as they spent time together relationships are not easy and they take time I talked about this last week the same goes with Jesus and so sometimes we don't engage with prayer because we're like I don't know what to do all Jesus wants is to have a picture like Zacchaeus can I spend the day with can I just spend time with you? Can you invite me into your life? Some of us have believed in Jesus, but we don't have an actual relationship with Jesus. Can we be honest? And when that happens, we are missing out on living in a freedom of that relationship. And the only way to get that gap closer is to actually say, I'm going to spend time. I'm going to spend moments building this relationship. And you 
can be a Christian for 50 years and still not know God personally. Deal with that in your life. That you can be a Christian and not know Jesus personally. And as sad as that is on just reality level, that's sad because you have missed out on what Jesus is trying to bring you in that relationship. He wants to transform how we pray to go from here to here. And we never know what that feels like until we start engaging with it. And if you don't know how to pray, just start talking and then start takes moments of saying, I'll drop the phone, I'll drop the noise, and I'll just sit in. Start with five minutes a day. See what happens. He wants to transform how we think. He wants to transform how we pray. I think he wants to transform our priorities. Because this sets the pace for life. What you value most is seen by what you say yes to and what you say no to. Even if you subconsciously say yes and no to these things you don't know. Some of us know we have priorities that we have, we've, have messed up priorities, but, the, but the, uh, the, the culture pressure feels so heavy. We say yes to things we should say no to. We say no to things we should say yes to. But in the back of our mind, we're like, I know my priorities are a little off. value system sets pace for life. What is priorities? And I think God wants to transform those priorities so that we can begin to walk that narrow, more narrow road of experiencing His freedom. Wants to transform our thoughts, our prayers, our priorities. Our fourth one, He wants to transform our habits. Our habits, which is different than priorities because I think our priorities begin to then dictate our habits. Now I think of habits, I think of like our attitudes, our actions, maybe our addictions. Our attitudes, actions, and addictions. Let me say, some of us, we are not experiencing the freedom of Jesus because your attitude is terrible and there's nothing Christ-like about your attitude. I'm going to put this as blunt as possible. Your negativity does not reflect a relationship with God and it does not reflect the, the person of Jesus. And you are off. And your attitude is what's taking you into bad places in life. And you can't live in freedom because your attitude is terrible. It's as simple as this. And I'll tell you, if your attitude is terrible, that is not the Holy Spirit working through you. That is you just saying, I'm ticked in life, I'm angry in life, I'm whatever in life. It wants to transform your attitude for two reasons. Transform your attitude because your attitude is what's sinking you and he loves you so much. Want to transform your attitude because you don't reflect Jesus in a way he wants to be reflected. Want to transform your attitude for you and for the purposes he has to use your life to point people to Jesus. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's not you today, but you need the power of the Holy Spirit to work in your life to transform it. But it's also those actions, those addictions. Some of you, just the reality is you can't live in freedom because your addictions are what dictate your life. And we know the common addictions. It's the, it's the alcohol. It's, the, it's drugs. We've got sexual addictions. We've, we, we've got, um, you've got, 
some of it is eating, some of it is just unhealthy, so it's, it's relationship addictions. There's, just think about the things that addictions make us focus on so that we can't focus on what Jesus has for us. Addictions are pretty simple. When you're addicted to something, it's setting the pace for your life, not God. And if those things are setting the pace, they're not bringing you freedom, they're bringing you destruction. This is why we need to invite the power of the Holy Spirit to come in to help us break these addictions because they are not letting us live in freedom. Can I just be super blunt right now? Some of our escapes, those are predominantly our drugs, our alcohol, our sexual things, our escapes. And we think it brings moments of freedom, but it is only bringing moments of destruction. And you need to say no to these things so you can experience a freedom that those things will never give. And the power of the Holy Spirit needs to break these in your life. And some of it is just you need to say no. And listen, addictions are not done overnight, but we need, there's almost a partnership. You do your part, you give authority to God to speak and work and do, and it is not I believe in power of God. It can happen like this, but sometimes it's a discipline to say, God, I'm giving you my life. Help me fight this addiction. Help me fight giving into this lifestyle because I want more of you. I'm not making light of addictions, but I am saying, let's take them seriously, that there's another way. And there are lots of people who have broken addictions through the power of God in their life. It has happened. And that can be your story. You don't need those escapes because they are not freeing. There is freedom in Jesus. So that's the fourth one. Let's move on to the fifth. And what's to transform, I'll just say, my, my trust. What's to transform my trust? Fear is powerful. The brokenness because of situations and grieving is powerful. There are moments in our life when we let fear and situations that have hurt us and broken us that we don't experience Jesus when all Jesus wants us to say is, I'm just going to trust you with my life. I'm going to trust you with what happened. King David, who had a relationship with God that was like, he was so emotional, and he just kind of wore his emotions on the sleeve. This is simply what he said. When I am afraid... I put my trust in you. Psalm 56. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. And for some of us, fear is dominating. The hurt and the fear of what can be because of what was, fears are all different. But it's hurting our ability to live in freedom because we totally don't trust Jesus with our life and I would love us to get to a point where we're just like King David and go, like, I have to say this to myself when I'm afraid, which is right now. When I'm living in fear, which is right now, I put my trust in you. There is freedom when we trust Jesus with those fears that have taken over. See, on Father's Day, when I invited Amber into my life <laughs> to do the closet, stupid story, but I that day I gave her authority. You can get rid of and clean up anything you want. I'm just carrying bags out. Can I tell you, it wasn't the whole house that needed to be clean. 
I think if you come to our house, we do not like messes in our house. We may be a little over the top, but we do not like, but my closet needed to be cleaned, and some of you, your house isn't a mess. There's some things that you've tucked away in a closet and it needs to be transformed. And we need to say, Jesus, I'm going to give you authority to do that. This is why he came and he died on the cross. He came to give his life so we could find a life of freedom inside of himself. So he's at that table with his disciples and he's saying to them, hey, when you come together, remember what I'm doing for you. That I gave my life, I I mean, and they're going to see what this really means in completion later. But he gave his life, he bled out and he died so that we could find new and real and free living inside of him. And in his resurrection, we have all the power we need to live inside that. We just have to grab a hold of. It's not just a moment of being set free. It's living every day in the freedom of Jesus because he came, he died, he rose again, and our life is his. So today, I'm just going to ask you to contemplate that all of that and say, is there a closet in your life that the death and resurrection of Jesus deserves you saying you have authority, clean it up. I'll let you do what you want to do. And we're going to worship. And maybe as we worship, you want to come up and to the altars and take communion. And there is, you want to give over authority to some closet in your life that needs to be transformed. Maybe you want to come up and you just want to give thanks because he is doing a work in you. I don't care, but what I would like to is for us to be people who are believers. To remember what Jesus did because it is life-changing. Everyone who came in contact with Jesus, life was changed. Except for those who said, no, I'm good. And today, if you've always said, no, I'm good, maybe today's the day you go, I want what you brought, Jesus, and you do what I said earlier, is you see him for who he is, and the repenting, just, God, forgive me. I want you to change my life. Transform who I am. The whole house and the little closets in the house. May he speak to you today and you respond. Because he's got more for us. So God, today, we're going to take communion at our own timing. Because God, I want your Holy Spirit to speak to us. If there's little closets in our life that need to be transformed, may we give them authority to you so you can begin that process of transformation. God, if anybody in the room, it's the whole house, needs to be just given to you, God, I pray the response would be a belief in you and a submitting of our lives through forgiveness. But God, as we take communion, where you speak truth to us, I thank you for giving your life my response is I give you mine back. Do what you want to do. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you would like to hear more, check out our website at ouronehope.com for message archives, 
service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.